Making It Plain, a podcast dedicated to discussing real issues that impact Black communities, Black families, and Black women. Your host, Dr. Key, is dedicated to discussing Black issues in a way everyone can relate. Welcome to Making It Plain podcast. I am your host, Dr. Key. In this episode of Making It Plain, we are discussing issues and challenges experienced by Black LGBTQ. Q plus individuals with Gabrielle Davis, counselor, respiratory therapist, and advocate. Welcome, Gab. Thanks for having me, Keena. Oh, excuse me, Dr. Key. <laughs> it's okay. I'm just excited to have you here. <laughs> so before we really get into our our topic, the things that we really want to talk about, I do like to educate our listeners and make sure they have a good understanding of, of, of what we're talking about. Now, some of the things we hear is what is LGBTQ plus? Like what does the plus mean? And stuff like, why is there so many letters or why is it, why is the, you know, it keeps changing over time. Um, and I, right. can you shed some light into that a little bit? Yeah. Well, so the first thing it constantly changes because humans evolve. So we, and in an attempt to continuously be inclusive, there might be a longer, more words, longer, a longer acronym, acronym, and people might define it differently. It's important that when we do have people defining or using labels for their identities, we respect whoever is using it in that moment if it's a queer person. So for instance, the L is lesbian, G is gay, B is bisexual, T is transgender, and I believe those were the four letters initially. Again, I'm not the keeper of the gay words. Not sure who's, who who came up with that, but uh, and then it kind of progressed in with the intention of being inclusive. So the Q is queer or questioning. Sometimes people might write two Qs, and the plus is supposed to be uh, any and all, um, you know, outside of that or whoever wants to use it. So to be inclusive of other people. When I use it, I usually when I write um, academically, I use LGBTQIA plus. And the eyes for intersex and asexual, and those are two uh, populations that are often erased. Um, so I like to be inclusive, at least of those. When I am corrected by people with identities that uh, they feel should be included, I include them, um, as I should, because those are people's identities. There is this, it's always this back and forth with um, straight cisgender people, and cisgender are those who align with the sex they were assigned at birth, the cisgender. So Nakita will be, you know, I'm cisgender woman. I am a cisgender woman. Uh, and that's just to provide clarity on that for folks who might not know. But there is a lot of angst when we talk about the A, because a lot of cisgender, um, usually white, usually heterosexual, usually uh, cisgender males specifically, want that A to mean allies. Um, but it does not mean allies. They are, those that particular group of people seems to always want to be included in everything. Mm-hmm. Although uh, that specific group of people likes to exclude queer people from most things. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where where that came from. And I'm glad you you explained that because basically what you're saying is this is how people identify themselves, and we should that's- respect how they identify themselves instead mm-hmm. of trying to put labels on people yeah and Um, people like labels people like labels if you told me right now i identify as a 
a catch, I'm going to respect that. Like, okay, well, you be the best catch you can be, you know, but, you know, a lot of people really want, they feel like they need the words in order to be affirming to somebody. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not affecting you. None of it is affecting you at all. Um, so just if, if somebody's, if somebody's, you say something, especially as a cisgender straight person and you say a, a term and it's like, oh no, actually just go with that, you know, go with that. Those are people's identities, so. Yeah, and so I've done research and all the language has evolved since I have even published some of my first articles, which really sort of explores um, how practitioners, what practitioners need to know Mm -hmm. to better serve and work with and and understand LGBT. Back then it was just LGBT I was writing and then it went to LGBTQ and then we started talking about cisgender, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And now it's IA plus, right? And so I'm glad you explained that, but the core of it is this is how people identify themselves, period. And just let them be. Just like you would say, um, this person is Gabrielle. If, and I called you Gab and you said, well, Narkita, no, I just go by Gabrielle, right? Yeah. That's how you identify yourself. So this is what this is. And I think that's yeah. an important understanding. The other thing is the um, he, she, right? The pronouns. pronouns. Yeah. You know, and even that, and so you mentioned something like you say things have evolved you know, since, you know, back when you did a few articles, and I know that was years ago. Yeah. Um, the thing with it, once this podcast airs, the language will have been involved. So it's important that it's, it's, yes, you want to know the words, but really should know the person, right? So when we talk about pronouns, for instance, um, again, I'm not a keeper of all the words, go with what everybody tells you. The thing that we used to like to see, especially in literature, um, because, you know, I'm, I'm talking to you about this because you're in academia, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the first thing we heard was if you say preferred pronouns, the word preferred, and that's the best thing. That's how you be inclusive. That's the right thing to do, blah, 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 blah. That was great. Again, we evolved. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, now, for instance, when I am doing a training or I'm having a conversation with somebody, say, hey, my name is Gab or Gabby, whatever I'm using that day, I use she, her pronouns. Now, if if I told you my name is Gab or Gabby, and my preferred pronouns are she, her, that gives you an option that preferred, like my preference is for you to use these, but you know, you have an option that, that introduces option into it. So we don't, we don't use preferred anymore. We try to avoid preferred because that gives the person um, that are using pronouns an option while the person that owns it um, doesn't believe it's an option. And, and, And with me saying that there are still queer people or, um, transgender or gender non-conforming people who still say preferred. And when they say preferred, that is theirs. We are not to correct them like, hey, actually, I know I'm a cisgender person, but actually you're not supposed to say preferred. Now, who are we? You know? Um, And and that's that's self-evident. Nobody likes to say, uh, they say it's hard to say they or them. We really been using they or them as a pronoun for a number of years. For instance, if I was at your house, if you had a party and somebody left your, their wallet at the party and they didn't have an ID in it, the first thing you will say is, oh, somebody left their wallet. I hope they come back and get it. Mm-hmm. So we just use they in a singular fashion because we don't know whose wallet it is. Mm-hmm. Somebody left their their wallet. I hope they come back and get it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we just use it. So we've been doing these things. It's really not difficult, but the change is difficult. Mm-hmm. When you got married, 
Mm-hmm. She went from Dr. Narkita Sparkman to Dr. Narkita Sparkman Key. It's a transition, but I bet people caught on to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so these are things we respect. Um, the change, like when a name changes or a, a pronoun changes or when somebody steps into their authenticity. So it's not as really difficult. It's difficult if the person uh, makes it difficult. Mm-hmm. Now they've been trying to just respect mm-hmm. what that person wants to be addressed as. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and, if, and if you make a mistake, there's a model for this. And I'll email this to you after. It's called the claim model, which was created by an uh, indigenous gender nonconforming person. And the claim model, the C-L-A-I-M, they all say it's something different. But basically what it says is to apologize and move on. So if you, if we were on this podcast and I used he pronouns for you and you're like, actually, you know, it's she. And I'm like, okay, sorry. And then I just move on. Like my bad. I mean, do that and keep moving on. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we fail to do is because people have trouble saying, I don't know, and making mistakes, humans, is we try to explain why we made the mistake, which causes more harm to the person that mm-hmm. was the person trans- transgressed. Mm-hmm. So for instance, like, oh, I'm sorry, Narkita, I used that because I was so used to using he, and then you change and not in your hair is this way. And this is why I said, nobody cares about that. Just mm-hmm. apologize and move on and do better. That's mm-hmm. it. And continue on with whatever was happening. Mm-hmm. And even, even, remembering to um, use terms like partner instead of spouse or husband or whatever. People, people, people identify in different ways. I know one of, one of my colleagues, he's, his partner, he does say husband or whatever, but, uh, but sometimes they don't, it's just partner. And so you just go with the flow of what, who, what they use. Uh, And you mirror, and you mirror the language. Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of my friends don't use, I use wife. When I refer to my wife, I don't say partner, I say wife. But a lot of people uh, use partner um, and that's fine. And you mirror the language. Gender neutral language is the easiest thing. And academia and research and writing and authorship, it's a lot easier to use gender neutral language. It's less letters. Mm-hmm. You know, so a lot of times you see in academia, different writing, not only that, and just different documents, a book, a, reg- a regular book, fiction or nonfiction, you'll see. And after, and, and once you do that, he or she may blah, blah, blah. Him or her may blah, blah, blah. It's that him slash her, he slash she, but you could just say they. After that, they will. You know, that's saving you letters, saving you space. <laughs> that's true. And people tend, they just have to have that binary where it's gender neutral language is so easy. When I go to the doctor, um, you know, you get these sheets and this is how I determine who I, who, who I work with, where I work, how gender neutral are they? Be, are they being intentional? So where's a space that says gender instead of having male, female, or other, mm-hmm. which an othering is a problem. Right. Also, the mm-hmm. other box, you can have a blank space. Also, it shouldn't say, uh, it should be two different things. Gender and sex are two different things. That And that's a whole nother conversation. That's a whole nother oh, yeah. conversation. Yeah. It but, is. but you have to say, or the assumption that Somebody has parents because a lot of people don't have parents growing up. They have, maybe they were raised by their grandparents or they have, well, tell me about what your mom and dad does. Well, if they have two moms, or if they have two dads, what if they're a single parent? So you have all these things and it's so ingrained in us. And most people are not offended by these things because even me, like even me as a, a queer person, even me working with trans people and different marginalized communities, I still make mistakes. And the only thing you can do in that instance is own it. You know, humans are intersectional by nature. Right. We we all have 
these different identities. The thing is, though, especially now, it's even more profound when we're talking about um, men and women and trans folks and, you know, gender nonconforming folks being murdered by the police is we forget those intersecting identities right. and how profound they are because how that, how profound they are is all those intersecting identities are marginalized. Right. Right. So. That's when we start getting into minority stress theory and all that, but we won't yeah. get the listeners that because they may not be into all the, the, the yeah. theoretical parts of it, but we will try to educate and talk about some of the current issues, which I think is very important. Um, Recently, the Supreme Court ruled that the Civil Rights Act protects LGBTQ plus, and we can add IA in there, individuals from workplace discrimination, right? Mm -hmm. But I think our listeners don't really understand what this really means, right? What What are the experiences of this population of people in the workplace? So, okay, I live in Idaho. Mm-hmm. which is a whole nother thing. Like all the problems are here just because that's where they, because it's Idaho. So here, before they, they, they said this federally, some of the counties and, and uh, city, no, not counties, some of the cities had already passed this. There was a big thing here called add the words because they wanted gender identity and sexual orientation added to, uh, to be protected, to be, be protected classes. But every city doesn't have that. Every state doesn't have that. So federally, it says that we can't be discriminated against for work or housing. Predominantly, those are the two things that a lot of people focus on, being discriminated against work or housing. Those things are very real. Regardless of people, uh, believe it or not, trans people and queer people um, are highly discriminated when it comes to jobs and housing, which is why you have a higher uh, percentage of the population, queer people, specifically more uh, trans women of color experiencing homelessness and a higher rate of trans women of color um, using sex work to, or participating in sex work for pay because of discriminatory practices across the U.S. So saying that, does it mean that jobs won't discriminate? Absolutely, they still will discriminate. It'll be just for a different reason. Um, I want to have hope that it'll be helpful. I'm in a privileged position where I'm not a trans person. I have a lot of marginalized identities, but I'm more worried about trans people and gender nonconforming people being discriminated when we when we talk about, um, the, you know, that Supreme Court case. How will they do it because of that? And 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 this, I don't know if this is your next question, next question or not, but you know, there and there are studies that that show this. When people are able to be authentic at work, they are more productive and more likely to stay more than two years. And so what that looks like is. Narkita, I know you're a family person, and I'm sure I haven't been to your office, but I'm sure in your office are pictures of your family, of your husband, your kids, and things like that. For some queer folks, um, trans folks, um, you know, like me, married to my wife, you may not see the same thing in my office because there's this idea or likelihood that if somebody knows who your family system is, that might be problematic at work. So, you know, those conversations around the water cooler, like, what did you do this weekend? It's always like, oh, me and my wife or me and my son or blah, 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 this and that. We did this. And you might hear, you know, a person in a same gender relationship say, oh, me and my best friend or not participate at all. So then, no, it's not work related, but we know personal uh, goes into work with you. Mm-hmm. Wherever you work at, you have conversations with people. So do you have to lie? Is that something you have to keep up with? 
So, I mean, hopefully the Supreme Court decision will help that, hopefully. But I would say myself personally, as a queer person, I don't, I'm less hopeful um, in the, the court system and, and people following it. I'm looking for people to, you know, find a workaround. Mm-hmm. One of the things that um, I, I, I didn't understand at first, now I clearly understand is when people are trans, I've heard stories of people who are transitioning and mm-hmm. they immediately start a new job as the person that they transition to into opposed to staying at the, at the place that they are while they're transitioning, because they can really start off as who they really are and yeah. be accepted for whatever their dy- family dynamics is. And they can just be authentically themselves opposed to having that, that history of who they were, follow them. And being uh, affirmed. Yeah. And, and I will say this again, you know, uh, you'll hear me say this, Sometimes, like, I'm not a trans person. I do work with trans people a lot, and most of my f- friends are, are trans folks who are gender non-conforming folks. But I'll say this, everybody transitions different. You know, so a lot of people think that they associate transgender people and transitioning to a surgery. And more times than not, it's, uh, most trans people don't get surgery. So, you know, transition, and some people don't um, use the word transition, so I want to honor that. I'm not clear on that language right now either. Um, but, you know, some people transition with uh, names. Right. Some people transition with just a haircut or whether the way they dress. Some people just use hormones or maybe they only get surgery or that, you know, there, there's different ways. In fact, kids normally transition socially only, which is clothes and pronouns and uh, a name they choose. It usually has nothing to do with the thing that upsets a lot of uh, cisgender, usually white, usually heterosexual males, usually Christian. And these are all, re- these are not things I'm making up. These are all uh, every research. Thing, yes. okay, research mm-hmm. have a problem with that because the assumption, because they don't do any research, is that if a child is, is transgender, that the parents are putting them on hormones. Right. And that's rarely the case um, when you're talking about, you know, people under 10 years old. And, you know, and even then, just to say this, you know, studies show again uh, that, you know, people start understanding their gender when they're two and three years old. Mm-hmm. So the, those are those are the things. So, yeah, transition looks different. Again, I'm not a trans person, but I completely can imagine why it's easier to start off as your authentic self elsewhere. Yeah. Now, I do know a few people that did stay in their job and was supported. They mm-hmm. did find support in their jobs, but I know more of stories of them not having support. Mm-hmm. I even know stories of them stopped talking to the friends that they had before mm-hmm. and just, yeah. you know, meeting all new friends. And sometimes it's like that because your friends, you know, you hope will be affirming and accepting until you do something that they don't agree with or something they don't believe in, which is a whole other thing. This, I, I don't believe in transgender people as if transgender people is a religion. Right. Or, you know, as a or values well, yeah, or something. Exactly. You know, and then those are longer friends. So, mm-hmm. you know, trans people and gender non-conforming people delete people off their lives just like we do. Toxic is toxic. Um, but I don't I don't know anybody per se, any trans people per se, that got rid of their friends because they were transitioning. They got rid of their friends because they didn't support them transitioning. Mm. So. That's a good point to make. So they, they, they weren't friends anymore, basically. They, yeah. They, 
the friends have. Yeah. Yeah. And listen, we, these are things that people who aren't trans or aren't uh, gender, non-gender conforming are, we all go through. We, we, we go through these things. When you find somebody toxic, oh, you don't support my, my relationship? To the loop. I let go of people when I got married. Mm-hmm. I'm in a, in a racial relationship. Mm-hmm. I'm also married to the same gender as me, to somebody that identifies the same as me. You don't like it? To the loop. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not going to, to change my authenticity or my happiness to make somebody who called themselves my friend happy. I'm not, I, you know. Um, hmm. but unfortunately, a, a lot of trans people do do that. Yeah. Until they get to the point where uh, they are ready. And that normally happens with family. And by family, in this instance, I mean relatives. Okay. Because a lot of people, I have more family than I do relatives. Relatives for me are people related by blood. Uh, I'm from Detroit. When I'm going back to Detroit, predominantly, I see relatives. Predominantly. The larger majority of people I see are family. Mm-hmm. Okay, so and and then and I like to say family, friends and family, because there's no no blood there for a lot of them. But you know those are different. Mm-hmm. So most queer people, not just trans people, but queer people, has a chosen family, somebody who supported you always. You know, regardless of what somebody told you when you were wrong, mm-hmm. felt like they could check you per se, and and you could check them. That is what chosen family. We all have chosen family just because we don't acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something different because verbiage is different. I got tons of cousins right. that have no blood at all. And I will, those are people that's going to back me up before the ones that have blood. Right. And so, that, and that's the same for many um, individuals. Mm-hmm. So I want to get back to the idea of the um, Supreme Court's decision, because you talked about one of the one of the questions that I had is, you know, what do we you know, what type of impact will this have? But I want to specifically talk about um, these the multiple identities, those that identify as both black people of color and LGBT LGBTQIA plus and. How might they experiences be different um, in the workplace uh-huh. and as a result of this Supreme yeah. Court? Mm-hmm. I think for them, and again, I think it, geography has a, a lot to do with it too, like where you are located. So, mm-hmm. right. So from Idaho, I'm a Detroiter, you know, till I die. Mm-hmm. But right now I live in Idaho. So for instance, I am more likely to be affirmed and accept it um, with my queer identity than I am my Black identity. Again, Idaho is a place that's 91 or 93% white, mm-hmm. 0.9% Black. So it's likely that the queer community here is larger than the Black community here. So mm-hmm. there's those two, you know, those two identities. For me at work, it's different. You know, I, again, I'm uh, out Black Fat, because that's an is an identity too. Um, queer woman, that's educated mm-hmm. in Idaho, right? Mm-hmm. So in my department, I'm the only Black respiratory therapist, and we have seven or eight hospitals in our system. I'm the only one out of all seven or eight hospitals, the only one from Idaho. Wow. Um, I'm one of two people that I know of that are out. But I'm the only person, I have the, the, the most amount of education 
out of all the respiratory therapists mm. um, in my system, the system I work in, out of all eight, seven or eight hospitals. I'm likely still underpaid, though. So even though the privilege in that is my education, but we know education is, is a privilege for uh, marginalized folks. So my navigation within the workplace, even if I have more experience, the reason I might be hired is because of my education. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas you could come in and say you had less education than me, but you'll do a way better job at it as, as a black person. You won't get hired, but let you come in as a white person, mm-hmm. even though the job required a master's degree. You don't have a master's degree, but you'll get have more experience. They'll hire you. Um, in my experience now in other places, where obviously uh, Black people aren't in a majority in most states, maybe cities, certain cities, but not most states. We're not usually in a majority. Right. I think folks with uh, marginalized identity might feel a little bit more comfortable if they're already in jobs um, and they're not out. Uh, They may feel more comfortable being out. You have to remember that a lot of trans people don't walk around and say, I'm a trans person. Um, or I'm a trans man or trans woman, they say I'm a woman because they are, or I'm a man because they are. But, you know, there might be a time where you want to talk about that identity. Right. And now this gives you a little bit more comfort if you're in, uh, if you already have a position. Now, I, what I worry about the most is if you don't, you know, we, we know that it's against the law to ask about familial things in an interview. Right. That doesn't mean they don't ask you. For instance, when my wife they still do. And a lot of people don't know that it's against the law. And even if they knew it's against the law, man, I really want this job. Do I want to not answer and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, not get this job? So you still in a bad position. So for instance, when my wife came to Boise State to work um, in the interview process, they asked her, they didn't ask if she was married. They knew she had a, they had, she had a ring on her finger, which you should also not assume because I know tons of women that buy their own rings and wear it, so they won't be bothered yes. by men. My friends buy big rings and wear them. Yes. 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 Huge As ones. They should. <laughs> As they should. And, uh, you know, one of the questions she got, well, what does your husband do? So this is an interview. And, and you know this, Narki, you know, she was 28 when she interviewed to be a full-time yes. professor. Yes. That's not something that happens all the time. Mm-mm. At 28, at a big university. That, that's, but for white women, it does. For white women, but also... So a little bit more married. often. A little bit more often. A little bit more, more often. often. Yeah. Yeah, but also not a lot. She didn't have any experience. Right, she, she had like did. a year of adjunct. She okay. did, right. So in that moment, she has to decide, mm. do I want to answer and just say, oh, he is a respiratory therapist? Or do I want to say... No, you shouldn't be asking me that. And finally, the last decision is, do I want to be honest and say, actually, it's my wife? So you stuck with those decisions. You know, I remember this story. Mm -hmm. You know, we talked about this. Right. We talked about this. Mm -hmm. Um, And you have to determine. But even in that instance, as a white woman, they didn't ask if her her husband was your black husband, do they didn't know I was black? No. So even so, you still had that that wave of, oh, it's okay. Who would have known what would have happened if if they knew I was? Right. So those are the questions that queer people, um, and queer and trans people will be confronted with more often than not. Right. Because once they're you get hired, it's a lot harder to fire them 
you know, without being, you know, figuring out a way to do it without seeming discriminatory. Right. Wow. And that's a difficult position to be in. What do you say? Do you just answer the question? Do you correct them? What do you do? Right. You know, even in work, Narkita. Mm -hmm. So for instance, in my job, I talk to patients. Again, I'm in a state that's predominantly 90, more than 90% white. And when I go see a patient, um, usually they know I'm coming because somebody from my team has already been there, gave them a little packet that has my business card and told them, Gabby is going to come talk to you whatever the case may be. So when I walk into the room, you know, the first thing I get, I introduce myself. Hey, I'm Gabby. I'm from respiratory. I'm here for blah, 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 whatever I'm doing that day. And uh, the first thing they do, and I know when it's going to happen because they they have the packet open. That's how I know it's going to happen. I could almost bet on it. They pick my business card up and they say, well, is this you? I say, yeah, it's me. They look at me, look at the business card. Yeah. You sure? Yeah. Been, it's been me for, for 37 years. But what are all these letters behind your name? Mm. And they're not asking in an interesting way, but wanting me to prove what you can tell in tone. And people with marginalized identities, they know the tone. Narkita, if you've experienced it, even in your position, I'm sure that tone, like explain why you should be here. Why are you versus, here? Why are you here? Versus, so, and so in that moment, I'm stuck again. Do I run down my resume so they can get this service for me? Or do I mark refusal in the church? Because I shouldn't have to do that. And sometimes I'm like, well, did you ask that nurse who just came in here with an associate's degree? Did you ask them about their educational background? So in that moment, you never know. Well, I know. You can tell by the voice. The accusatory voice, like you shouldn't, mm-hmm. you shouldn't be here, or I shouldn't have all those letters um, behind my name. So in that moment, I have to determine, like, is this gonna put my job on the line? Right. If I say, you know, do you want the service or not? Right. Um, and then, and then I have the second question. So that's the black part. That's one. That's only one marginalized, I, marginalized identity. Let's say I get past that question. Maybe I decided to answer. Maybe it, sometimes I say. Why is that so important? Tell me why that's so important to you. You know, throw an open-ended question at a motivation interview on 101. Yeah. <laughs> I get past that. The next question is, again, because I'm Black in Idaho, well, what brought you here? So now, again, in this little section, I have to determine, do I need to be honest again? Because what brought me here is my wife's getting a job here. So now there's that other identity now that they will have to know because I just said my wife. Right. Right. Now, do I want to lie about that? So you're always stuck in limbo, you know, with this bill, hopefully that limbo will go away. Hopefully you can be honest in all things because it's a lot, it's hard to keep up live. And I'm lucky, you know, and at my facility, I have opted out of those conversations. You know, I've had, I've had people ask, well, can you send somebody else because I don't want a black person or use another word? And my answer is no. That's a refusal. You don't get nobody else. Your only option is me. Now, what's your decision? Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, I don't have to warn anybody else like that because there's no other black respiratory therapist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so you have these things where those, you know, multiple intersecting marginalized identities uh, come into play. Well, you, you said something important. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to unpack this a little bit because okay. at the end of the day, this Civil Rights Act has always covered Black people. Mm-hmm. Am I correct? 
Mm-hmm. So when you walk into the room under this mm-hmm. act, you're still black. Mm-hmm. Can't take it off. And you can't take it off. And this Civil Rights Act, how much protection has black people really have? How much have they really gotten from this, this act? We still know that black people are suffering in the workplace. We still know that they're being oppressed. They have more medical issues due to trauma in the workplace um, than anyone else. And so the Civil Rights Act is a good step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. But the one thing that you still face as a as having multiple identities, that main mm-hmm. thing is being Black. Black. Because that's the one thing you can't erase. You can't take it off. There's these ideas, you know, this ideology. Uh, a lot of people think this way that, oh, I know how gay people look. Or I know, I can tell that that's a, a trans woman or a trans man. When truthfully, or as I say, I've never met a trans woman or trans man. You have. Mm-hmm. Not only have you done that, but you also use the bathroom next to them. Nobody mm-hmm. is going in and saying, you can't tell. Like, you know, that, that is not the thing. So the Civil Rights Act was the beginning. They did an amazing job with with Black folks. Um, but unfortunately, nobody carried that on after them. Mm-hmm. Before, you know, all those pioneers. And it's not a long time ago. Mm-mm. You know, it's people that John Lewis is still alive. Yes. You know, these, these people are, are still around. Mm-hmm. These people are, I, I saw, met John Lewis a year and a half ago at, mm-hmm. at work. He was at work. Mm-hmm. So this is not like it was so long ago. To be honest, right now, the people who are going to make the change for us is Generation Z. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this, we talk down about Generation Z and, the, and, the, and the, the folks that came after it because they ate Tide Pods for a minute or whatever, but... <laughs> They are the ones that that's making a change. So I, I think, you know, we still have a ways to go. There is a place in, in the, the fight for uh, revolution and liberation. There There is a space for everybody. Uh, but the thing is, we need to include um, all people, all Black people, when we say Black Lives Matter. That has to include Black, queer, and trans lives um, as well. Because we don't touch, you know, civil rights movement did not touch on, they touched on uh, women and black folks when we talk about this you know it's all it's always been about race and gender but even race and gender is is very uh specifically gender is very binary mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know with male female man woman you know there's right. all, no in between where there's a lot of gray a lot of gray a lot right right and i think you you opened this up to to talk about um because you brought in the 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 topic that all that all lives and and what that all really entails. And so mm-hmm. I think we need to really talk about this violence, the violence against transgender individuals. You know, recently there have been many deaths of black transgender individuals. Um, it is known that transgender transgender individuals experience violence at greater rates. However, this violence doesn't often make the news. Or if it mm-hmm. does come to the attention of the media is very briefly. There isn't a, there isn't a public outcry Mm -hmm. um, for, and and it's so common, but there isn't a public outcry for it. And then, you know, a lot of times when folks are murdered, um, they are misgendered when they talked about, because either the family misgenders them. So if, if you are, 
uh, a trans woman, you've lived your life as a trans, it doesn't matter when, if you were a trans woman, yes, the day before you die, you were a trans woman. And then you have family that wasn't accepting or affirming come in and use he, him pronouns. So even disrespectful in death. The, the thing is, yes, specifically more uh, Black trans women are, are targeted. Um, and with the most recent, uh, when we start talking about George Floyd, Tony McDade was a Black trans man that was killed um, by police mm-hmm. as well. And the thing is, the reason I think, again, I, I'm not a trans person, I'm not an expert on trans. I I think that, and there's likely, I'm sure there's literature for this. I think black trans women are killed because of those multiple identities, because how come white trans women aren't killed at a larger rate? Right. Right. So is that there's this uh, room. I would say say rumor because there's no truth in it that trans women trick men. And that's why they're killed. And you know, there's ton of cisgender men, that love um, and fetishize trans women. Love and them. The problem, yeah, and it's because they can't be authentic when people find out to protect themselves or their manhood, um, per se. A, a lot of murder comes in that way. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of, of it is internalized uh, homophobia or, or transphobia that, that does that too. But it, you know, just looking at statistics with, you know, Black trans women being killed at a larger rate proves that it's that the common denominator is Black because yeah. otherwise it would be white trans women will be murdered at the at the same rate. Laverne Cox just came out with a, well, not Laverne Cox, there was many people on that, but uh, with a documentary came out this year called Disclosure. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. If, if you haven't, if you haven't watched or your listeners haven't watched, it's a good documentary. I want to say it's on... Um, Netflix? Probably. I'm going to say Netflix. I think it is. And in that documentary, she, and it was, it was other trans people on there too, but the thing is, like, people take trans people for a joke or, or something like that. And it's because of the way, first of all, trans people have always existed. But, you know, when trans people start first being out, they were labeled as cross-dressers. Um, and there's a big difference between a cross-dresser and... Yes a trans person and they were used in TV series and it was always the comedic relief. Um, and so now they're laughable. They're looked at as not real and they are very real people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and so, you know, society has these mo- mostly ignorant, there's, you know, these ignorant ideas that because this is how it was on the TV, um, this is how it is in real life. The problem is a lot of people don't know. They've never had a conversation with an out trans person. And a lot of trans people, you know, um, haven't had conversations with an out trans person. So navigation for them still is different because you might not have support depending on where where you live. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of life you live? Like, do you have access mm-hmm. to, to other trans people? Is it safe for you to talk to other trans people? So you're dealing with a lot of things. So it's a lot of, a lot of ignorance led to that and a lot of... You know, I think internalized homophobia, transphobia, or the inability for specifically cisgender men to be authentic with themselves. Right, right. I was just reading an article where they interviewed um, bisexual men, and the men talked about how, um, what the impact of them being outed by their 
woman partner mm-hmm. um, that they do oh. sleep with men, the impact mm-hmm. they would be, <clears throat> you know, depressed and all of these different things because um, the woman would not accept their other identity of, of, yeah. of sleeping with men. And so that's a big, a big deal. And, you know, <clears throat> even within the queer community, you, there's discrimination against bisexual people and trans people. Even so, even outside of this, even bigger. And then when it comes to men being bisexual, you know, they only get if a man says he's bisexual, identifies as, as bisexual, that automatically uh, transitions to gay. Yeah. However, if a woman is bisexual, it's great. It's fetishized because we live in a patriarchal world, and a, a lot of cisgender men would like to have be with two women. It's this idea like, oh, this is a bisexual woman I'm dating. That means she'll be with two women with me. Right. Right. You know, so it's not okay for men, again, because we're thinking about patriarchy, because men don't like that. But it's okay. It's fetishized for two women to be together. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and and that's always been there. And it's, you know, even so in, in the queer community. Um, my, my wife identifies as bisexual. Mm-hmm. You know, and again, we talk all the time about the erasure that comes along with that. Because the assumption is, as a, as a bisexual person, that You'll always be, you can't have a monogamous relationship if that's what you wanted. You'll always be with a man and a woman. It'll just be a constant back and forth when that's not true at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting, though, that with these challenges that um, violence that transgender individuals face, that it's not covered, you know, mm-hmm. that it's not... Um, a public, a public outcry, you know, it's not in the media. Now I understand that they may, you know, miss, misassign genders and all that different stuff. But once you find out that this is another transgender individual and, and you're still not reporting on this, it's not, it has not become a major issue. People might not even know that this is an issue. Um, that's a problem. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, many of it doesn't take the lives of transgender people because most of Americans don't either. Mm-hmm. Not only that, there's no trans repre- re- representation in, in media, media. Mm-hmm. in media, not not on TV, not, you know, um, actors, but in media, in news coverage. Where are the trans people? That's true. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't have. You know, when we talk about inclusion and when we talk about things we see on TV, Trans people have always been ousted. There are many movies. And, and again, this it reminded me of when I was watching Disclosure that had were about trans people, but they hired cisgender people to play the role, although there are trans actors available. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's great. Oh, the movie is great. This movie was great. But also, I hate trans people. You know, how is that? Like, how do we, we do that? We need more trans rep- representation and non-binary folks. We need those people. We need them to be seen and not just laughed about. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, it just be a headline. We need them to use the right verbiage in media to talk about trans people. You know, there's this thing, especially, in, it's really sad when I see it in literature and I always, you know, write an email. When they have ED or S on the end of transgender, there's no such word as transgendered doesn't even sound right coming out transgenders we don't do that we now when we're referring to one person we don't add an s on the end mm-hmm. we, i don't know what this thing is with <laughs> pluralizing and adding suffixes and things where they 
where they don't go. Um, but those are the things we need more uh, representation. We need more of them to have the have opportunities, and the way we do that is by people um, doing uh, actions of allyship. Mm-hmm. He has identified several things, um, mm-hmm. but I want to unpack one specific thing because you said that you basically debunked a myth out there where people are assuming that more violence is coming to transgender individuals because they are misleading their yeah. partners. Um, so can you explain, you know, what, and this is in your own view because we know you're not an yeah. expert um, mm-hmm. um, besides having friends and, and mm-hmm. coming in contact with individuals, but what other challenges do they face that put them in the line of this violence that may lead to uh, medical, medical care. Mm-hmm. And by medical, I mean physical and mental health care. Mm-hmm. So for, for instance, um, we know all counselors, social workers, mental health clinicians aren't um, affirming. Mm-hmm. Same thing for medical clinicians. So for instance, um, let's say, you know, I identify, I use he, him pronouns. I go, I'm a trans person. And I go to the ER and I, I have a broke leg. My leg is broken. That's why I'm here. But the nurse or the physician or whoever I encounter, they're more interested in how come my pronouns or my name doesn't match uh, how I look. So, you know, it might take you longer to receive care. Not only that, if somebody constantly misgenders you, you're, and you're there for a, a broken leg or, uh, you know, a laceration to the arm or something simple like that, you have such a bad experience. Why would you come back to get medical treatment? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that one experience could turn away people from receiving or attempting to get, you know, medical care. And what if this p- person has a chronic condition where they, they need to receive medical care on a regular basis? Same thing for clinicians. Let's say you go, and, and, you know, you had a previous suicide attempt um, and you go and you're, you're getting counseling and the counselor or the social worker attempts to, you know, tell you that, make you believe that it's because you're transgender um, is the reason why. And they want to go with that. That That is their goal to debunk your authenticity mm-hmm. um, because that has to be the reason. Um, why would that person reach out and get mental health care again? Mm. That's traumatic. And those experiences are traumatic in themselves. And and just you speaking of these experiences has me thinking about things like domestic violence. So Mm -hmm. this person comes um, to get care. They identify as a man, but Mm -hmm. you are so stuck on calling them a female that you're not, you're not categorizing or keeping track of that this person has been coming for care so often that they may be in a violent situation and actually need help. They they may be crying for help, but you're not even recognizing because you're so stuck at the point of trying to identify and label them as something different from what I'm in as. Because you just can't get past that. And that's re-traumatization. Right. Those are things. That is the reason why suicide is so high amongst uh, trans folks. You know, that that's the part. And the thing we, we do horrible at is, and this is what I use when I, again, when I teach classes or do education or training is we try to choose, and I'm using we because I'm all a mental health care provider and a medical provider. 
Mm-hmm. So I'm lumping myself in because of the group of people. Healthcare workers, both physical and mental health care, we like to pick the biggest book on somebody's shelf. You know, I'm coming to the hospital, me being trans or me being a gay woman. It's not why I'm here. That is not the chapter book of the book I'm here for. Mm-hmm. I could be coming to counseling because I hate my mother. Help me with that. I hate my mother and I really want to live. Right. Right. It has nothing to do with me being gay. Mm-hmm. But because that clinician is focused on that, they've chosen what chapter we're talking about. They chose the biggest book on my shelf. Mm-hmm. You know, and then they have so many, they expect you to educate them. Again, this is, these are traumatizing things because I'm going to do this education and then you get to give me a bill. Right. You know, I had a client that that uh, that came in and they they were like, well, I'm in, um, I'm into I don't know how the conversation, how it came up. But they said, I'm interested. I, I participate in flogging on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people might not know what flogging is. But flogging is they like to be beat with a certain kind of paddle um, sexually. Mm-hmm. And after they said that, they looked at me and they just waited. It was just a long, awkward pause because the previous clinicians that they had were stuck on it. Either they had to ask questions about it or they just kept bringing it back up. Mm-hmm. You know? So, you know, they said that. I'm like, okay, are you waiting? What are you waiting for? Like, are you waiting for me to say something? You want to go on? You know, what happened? When they said that, you know, every time I bring up, my sex life, they, they're stuck on it or I'm judged or it comes up in every situation. Again, they're not there about their sex life. It just happened to come up when they were talking. It's a regular thing for them. It's a part you know, of their identity. That's mm-hmm. it. Your reality is real to you. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and just thinking about that, like what happened if I was one of those people? Mm-hmm. What if I had responded to that? Like, wait, what? Why would you do that? Mm-hmm. You know, um, that would be re-traumatizing regardless of what the thing is those are the things we have to think of, think about you know i we automatically assume what the the trauma is for people or what the thing they should be focused on i had another client that came in had previously attempted suicide but was more traumatized by the police that picked them up after attempting suicide and this is again this is where you know, defund the police comes in by having more social services available. Mm-hmm. This person a- attempted suicide. They called 911 for help. They sent a police officer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this is somebody who uh, attempted suicide was okay, but was arrested. Maybe not arrested, maybe just taken down, whatever. But either way, traumatized because they're putting handcuffs mm-hmm. like a criminal. Now, imagine if that was a uh, a black trans person. Now you're a black trans person with mental condition. Who's been arrested? Who's in a squad car? Mm-hmm. Uh, imagine a black trans person going to a jail facility that's only binary. So these are, are these are all of, all the things. What would have happened if a uh, affirming counselor showed up with that police officer to de-escalate mm-hmm. or or to provide services on the spot? Mm-hmm. They, there might not even been a transfer to the jail or to the hospital. That could have been done in a regular car. So you, you have all these things. And that's where those, you know, again, marginalized identities come up. But, you know, as a black trans person, those two, you know, 
three starts you out. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's very unfortunate because when you think about the resources and services that trans people have been around forever, right? But when you think about even social services, the support services they have for individuals, there there are no there are no support services for this population of people. And it so much so, we know that many of them are homeless. That mm-hmm. it's a big issue with homelessness, right? Mm-hmm. Yet None of the homeless shelters are prepared to meet the needs of this population of people who have been around forever. We know that they are homeless, yet we have no shelters for them. We don't. Well, well, we have them, but there's so biased. There's limit. Yeah. There's limit. And this is the thing. We've been judging people on perceived gender forever. So let's just talk about the bathroom just briefly. I know our, our time is running out. Mm-hmm. The bathrooms have always said men and women. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Nobody is there. Men and women, if we talking about sex versus gender, mm-hmm. nobody's there to check genitalia before you go in. Mm-mm. So it's always been about your goal. You are to go into the bathroom where the society perceives you as. So that is what it's always been. There is no genitalia police mm-hmm. to determine. And even if we did that, what if you're intersex? Intersex people are born with ambiguous genitalia. 2.2% of the population is intersex. The same amount as redheads. Mm-hmm. You know? So what are we doing? These are, these are things. It's all based on society. Everything is binary because it's easier. Even at, you know, at homeless shelters, there's still a box, male, female, and, or other. Yes. If, if they have an other. If it's a Christian homeless shelter, it's definitely not other. Yet. That's a whole nother, a whole nother identity, marginalized identity if you don't have a relationship with religion. So, so you have those, especially if you're a black person, a black queer person, we know how toxic the black church can be when it comes to queer people. They'll affirm you being black, but not that other side. Right. But it, it's so many things. And then, and now you experience homelessness. What do you do? Right. It's so funny because I was overlooked for a board position because I did research on this a population of people that exists in our society because I did research and the board position was for sex trafficking. Um, Mm -hmm. And we know that transgender individuals are sex trafficking, you know, but they didn't want that perspective. Um, And it's just so interesting to me how we judge and um, put so many roadblocks in place for individuals who have been here forever. They're they're here forever. They're a part of our society. Why are we purposely putting these roadblocks in place that um, further oppresses them, right? Um, So it's it's just interesting. And and the work trans people have done, you know, the physician general for the Virginia Commonwealth is a trans person. Mm -hmm. Um, One of of the top physicians in in the Commonwealth is a trans person. Mm-hmm. And has been doing this work. So, you know, if you come to a hospital and you have a trans person as your physician, are you going to say no? Because I guarantee you they're not going to send a different physician to help you. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. If you're in You know, the trans people aren't just trans people. You it's know, people. they are they people. people. They are participants in society. Mm-hmm. They are helping society. I've learned so much specifically in the last four years from trans people, mm-hmm. from trans people, 
what all we can do, and I know that you know it's coming to an end. The things that we can do as humans to help um, queer folks, especially queer Black folks, is to uh, stop worrying about being an ally and worry about uh, worry more about uh, doing actions of allyship. Mm-hmm. What that looks like is, for instance, for instance, today Marquita asked me to be on a pod on a podcast. If I had a trans person, a Black trans person, that was available. I will say, no, this is the person for it. That's what we should do. Mm-hmm. That's if there, if I was offered a position and I know that I'm being offered it because I'm cisgender or I'm in, or I'm in a position to where I can uh, help out a queer black person to give them a leg up, to give them an opportunity. I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. And and that's what I can do with my the privilege, the small amount of privilege we have as, as, as black folks. And realistically, we need more white cisgender people to do those things. Mm-hmm. My, and, and this is the last example I, I'll give you I, so you can close out Narkita. But my wife, my wife is white, like I mentioned before. And uh, a year, a year ago, no, this past October, we were asked to sit on a panel at a diversity and inclusion summit. So um, I said yes. And my wife said no. This is the person that should do it. The person she uh, referred was a non-binary, queer, Latinx person with a beard. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's what you do. That That's allyship. You're offering somebody else an opportunity. You're like, who needs another white woman talking? White cisgender woman talking? Mm-hmm. Now, even though her marginalized identity in this instance, is is being bisexual and being uh, identifying as, as a woman. She knew it was somebody else that she, what, could better hold this space, mm-hmm. and never mentioned it. Never said like, "Look what I did!" Like, give me a no. gold star. That's not what allyship looks like. You allyship is doing stuff because they need to do to be done. Allyship is a practice, and that is a phrase I just started using. I used to say allyship is continuous, but a friend of mine, Ty Simpson, said allyship is a practice and it's because it's continuous you never get to the end right i've never i've been called an ally once um and it was by a trans person and it felt really good but i didn't need to be called an ally to continue to do allyship right so i think that you know when it comes to go ahead go ahead no i'm glad that you said that because we've been talking about this idea of allyship and the black community because we're talking about black individuals as well and people are like okay now i want to do something you know i want to be a good ally to you when it comes to you yep. and they're like i want to be a good ally to you yep. what can i do for you and it's like no i need you to be a good ally in the places that i am not at Mm-hmm. And use your voice and take action and, your and privilege. use your privilege to um, diversify the places that we are not at because that's that's what we need, right? So it's an action. It's not just it's an action. A, just don't do it. As, oh, I made it. I'm an ally. Right. No, you also shouldn't want to do that. Like you also shouldn't want to be an ally. You should be, want to be a better person. And that's where those actions come in. I think a lot of times, you know, especially in Idaho and other places. Diversity is a, is a buzzword that we we all like to use. This society's thing, especially academia and big corporation, and we focused on how do we bring diverse. How can we have a more diverse staff, a more diverse board, all these things? Mm-hmm. Um, and the problem is that diversity is how we recruit 
but inclusion and equity is how we retain. Yes. And these organizations focus more on recruitment and advertising than they do retention. So, okay, now you got a diverse, diverse board. How are you going to keep it? How are you going to keep these people here? How are you going to make sure they thrive? Exactly. Are you be inclusive, equitable, and do justice. Right. Don't just be diverse. In Idaho, again, 90, 91% white. You literally have to force people to move here to be diverse. Diversity is not a thing that's going to happen here in, in my lifetime. It's not. It's not going to be a diverse place. But you can be inclusive and equitable. Right. You can. Those are intentional actions you can do. Let's say you, once you have something diverse, because it's not going to be diverse in color. No. But maybe you have somebody diverse in experiences, diverse in education, diverse in, in gender. Right. You know, you have all these other things you can do. What are you doing with that? Because when people see that, that is going to recruit for you. Yes. Happy people you know? recruit. Happy people, people recruit for you. Mm-hmm. And that can be free. Mm-hmm. Spend the money to retain. Yeah. Well, thank you for your time today. We we talked about so much. So uh, in closing, I want to say that according to the Human Rights Complaint, um, campaign in 2019, 26 transgender or gender non-conforming people were fatally shot or killed violently, and those are the one they actually um, assigned the gender correctly, right? Because there there are others. We're sure that they are others, and 91 percent of these were black women. 81 percent were under the age of 30, and 68 percent lived in the South. That tells us a lot about where the problem exists. There is so much we all can do to support the LGBTQ plus IA community (laughs) in calling out discrimination and pushing for justice. So yes, all Black Lives Matter. We all have a part to play in recognizing and uplifting the sentiment. We need to bring attention to the issues that really exist and use our positions of power to strive towards change. So I want to say rest peacefully to some of the recent um, individuals that we know have died from violence in the transgender community. Um, and, and that's Brayla Stone and Mercy Mack and Rhea Milton and Dominique Fails. Um, two of them were really advocates and protesting during the time of, of their death. And, and these are just the recent ones that, that I know of. There are so many more that we are named, that, that we have not named, but that we need to recognize. So there is so much in our community that we can do. And I hope that this ep- episode gets us to the point that action Allyship is an action word. It's, it's not just a, a label or a title or a trophy that you get to carry around with you to say that you're an ally. It's an action. It's a continuous action. It doesn't stop by doing one thing kind. So this is Making It Plain with Dr. Key. Thank you all for listening. Thank you, Gabrielle, for sharing your expertise with us all. And please follow us on Instagram at Making It Plain with Dr. Key. Thank you for listening to Making It Plain with your host, Dr. Key. This podcast has been brought to you by our sponsor, Sparkman Key Consulting, LLC. Check us out at www.thedrkey.com.